Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio, this is Raider Nation Radio 920. Unnecessary Roughness. roughness. I think this, that somewhere within the first five to ten plays of the game, the other team's quarterback must go down. And he must go down hard. It's Unnecessary Roughness here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Big hole. First down. End zone. Touchdown. Touchdown Raiders. Would you believe it? This is Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy, Q. Kicking off hour number three of the show here on Unnecessary Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920. My man, DeMond Cotton, back in the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. I am at the home studio. Right now, joining us on the phone lines is our good buddy, Deontay Lee from The Athletic on Twitter, at Deontay Lee FB, which obviously stands for football. And Deontay, thank you so much for your time this afternoon. You had a piece out on The Athletic probably a couple weeks now ago uh, about defenses, and I really was intrigued by it because – this is a copycat league, and I remember when the Legion of Boom first would become the Legion of Boom, everybody wanted a Seattle Seahawks-typical, prototypical cornerback, and they're kind of trending away a little bit from that, but I like your piece that you put out, Pete Carroll's defense kind of going away. When did you start to see the trend of, of, of teams starting to go away from that Legion of Boom style? Um, I mean, a lot of it is gradual, right? Um, so it's almost hard to catch in real time. Um, I would say that the most noticeable period of time where it seemed like that Legion of Boom era was maybe coming to an end, I would say it would be around like the 2017-2018 year. That's like the end of Jacksonville. The Jacksonville Jaguars make that run to the AFC title game. They play the Patriots. It looks like they're the better team for most of the game, and then obviously you all know how that game eventually ends um, with the Patriots coming out on top. But that was like the last real defense not even being Seattle, that I think was really able to maximize that type of scheme under Gus Bradley. Um, and everything from there, I think we've just kind of seen just like the dissipation of how important that defense is, how important the scouting behind building that type of defense is. And now in today's NFL, with everybody trying to create or, you know, intimate their version of what Vic Fangio, Brandon Staley, Joe Barry, Ed Donatel, et cetera, et cetera, what all these kind of three, four, you know, two high coverage types are doing. That's just kind of where the league is at right now. And it was definitely something that I wanted to, you know, bring some light to because it's going to inform us a lot on how offenses and defenses work um, in the upcoming era of this NFL. Well, you know, the Raiders had Gus Bradley as their defensive coordinator a year ago. I thought he did some really good things. I thought the defense took a step forward, but it wasn't where it needed to be. There's no way was it Legion right. of Boom-like. It just it took some step forwards, and now they transition to the Patrick Graham's defense. So how do you see a lot of the personnel that the Raiders had a season ago now transforming and, and transitioning into a Patrick Graham-led defense? Well, I would say, I mean, number one, and this is something that's not exclusive to what Patrick Graham is going to because it was the same conversation under Gus Bradley, and a lot of it is just going to hinge on what they're able to get out of their defensive backs. I really like what they have on the edge, right? Like the combination of Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, especially in the 3-4 type of defense, I think kind of allows both of those guys to really do what I think they do best, which is play with high-energy, high-motor players, be able to set the edge, and then in passing situations that can pin their ears back and get after the quarterback. That's something I think both of those players do really well. So I expect them to be a good tandem, you know, especially going off of what Crosby was with Yannick Ngakwe last season. Um, so I think they're good on the edge. They definitely need to, I think, show a little bit better on the perimeter. 
Um, and a lot of that is just going to kind of come down to what they're able to do on the interior and what their quarterbacks. If they're not good enough on the interior in terms of stopping the run, it'll be a long year. It wasn't as big of a problem last year, but I will say that Gus Bradley's defense is almost like uniquely built to that Seattle style of defense is really kind of focused in on and honed in on stopping the run um, almost at all costs, and and some may argue to the detriment of being able to stop explosive passing plays, which I'm sure some Raiders fans saw at different points throughout the year when the pass rush wasn't getting old. So um, that's kind of what I'm focused in on. I think that'll be the story of this year's defense is, are the interior linemen in this kind of 3-4 more multiple versatile scheme good enough to stop the run, and are you able to get good enough play out of your cornerback room to be able to take away those explosives and one thing we we all know about Patrick Graham from his time with the Giants is that he is willing to do whatever it takes to try to get stops on the defensive end. He's very flexible, and it's going to just come down to whether or not they've got the personnel to handle some high-powered offenses in the AFC West. Talking right now with Deontay Lee from The Athletic here on Unnecessary Roughness, Raider Nation Radio 920, and I'm glad you brought up the interior of that defensive line because when, when Patrick Graham took over, the Raiders went out and made an effort to go get guys at a 300-pound plus for that exact reason right. that you mentioned, you know, to plug it up, to stop the run. How critical does it have to be that those guys have to stand up and really plug up that, uh, that rush lane, and, and, and does a guy like Ndamukong Sue make sense for the Raiders if he is available, which he is right now? Yes, I would certainly say to answer the last part of your question first, a guy like Ndamukong Sue will make a lot of sense. Um, a, as a run defender, and B, just as a piece of the rotation, I think that he would be really valuable. We saw a lot of that value in Tampa Bay, right? Like, he wasn't asked to be a star player into his 30s. I think that that would kind of be a little bit of a stretch to expect, but I think having a player like that in the rotation, especially on early downs and you're expecting a run game or against heavier personnel, it's a big thing. Um, I think to, to answer the first half of your question, um, and this is one of the funny things that comes about when I talk about scheme, you know, and people kind of reach out to me and try to talk to me about some of the things schematically, is that all this stuff really does come around to players, right? You build the scheme up to fit players into. Um, that, that is the biggest thing. So beyond just anything I talk about in terms of the 3-4 and all that, what it comes down to is what you mentioned, right, is getting the body types that really fit in these roles. So getting those 300-plus pound types, getting those 6-3 guys that got long arms and big bodies, you know, that can play on the interior, that can eat up gaps between the guards and tackles um, and allow your linebackers to really be able to flow over the top. You know, they've got the guys on the edge, like I mentioned earlier, that can really help you in terms of setting the edge against the run and getting after the quarterback when it's time to do so. So everything else is just about building up that interior, and I think getting bigger bodies will go a long way to uh, accomplishing that goal. And then this is another thing when we talk about trends in the league. Um, I think just finding those 300-plus pound types that can really just eat up blocks in the interior, it's just hard. It's easier to do, excuse me, than to try to find, you know, those dominant three techniques. And you talk about an Eric Armstead or an Aaron Donald, which we all know. Um, some of those guys who are at that upper echelon, you know, Cam Hayward is another guy that I think about that are interior linemen that can go line up in a three-technique to deal with double teams or single blocks and be able to win those matchups. It's just easier to find bigger bodies that can just kind of take up that space on the interior. All right, Deontay, when it comes to up front, we know that Patrick Graham, he said that the base defense, it's a little overblown when people talk about it because so much of the sub-packages are going to be used. For Max Crosby making that switch from 4-3 to 3-4, what are some of those differences where it's going to be maybe a 3-3-5 look for those outside linebackers coming off the edge? So I think um, it's it's almost on the half-truth at times when I think when coaches kind of get into how overblown personnel is. I understand where they're coming from in terms of the fact that an edge rusher is an edge rusher is an edge rusher. 
right? You, you pay those guys to go get after the quarterback first and foremost. But some of the small little details in terms of their technique, how you want to handle, you know, stopping the run, those types of things will change. So in terms of role, whenever you are in those odd front, you know, types of structures, whether it's three three five nickel, like you mentioned, or pure base three four, you know, your your edge rushers, they're not getting up the field the way that they would in a Gus Bradley defense. Right? Like, you know, one of the things that they did a ton of last year was running a bunch of stunts and slants and twists to get out, you know, to get into those interior gaps and stop the run. You're not going to do that as much as in 3-4 because the spacing of the defense doesn't really allow for that. So there is some little things, those little tweaks in terms of technique, and that's exactly what OTAs and minicamp is for, is trying to make those transitions. Uh, so I do think that there will be a bit of a change, but I understand what he's getting at in terms of on second and long, on third and obvious, when it's time for these guys to go be the 10-plus, 15-plus, 20-plus million-dollar players that we want them to be, their job is the same, and that's to pin their ears back and go get after the quarterback. And that's where, you know, it's the same across the board no matter what kind of defense you're running. And you mentioned earlier about how the league, it's a copycat league, and the league is just trying to catch up to the trends. So on the offensive side of the ball, we see the teams, Kansas City, basically all the teams in the AFC West, the Chargers as well with the high-powered offenses, multiple weapons. So which coverages, because we know that cover three, we've seen it for the Raiders last year, just playing cover three isn't going to cut it. So with some of those more high-powered offenses, which coverages are you seeing are more successful? So I think it all kind of comes down to just taking away those those explosive plays you get in between the seams, right? Those over the middle of the field, up the seam. That, that's really what hurts the defense. And that's why you see a lot more like the cover four, the quarter stuff, your quarter-quarter halves coverage, which you see a lot of when teams have, you know, a matchup problem, that wide receiver. You know, you don't have a corner that can stand up and one-on-one coverage on the perimeter. That's when you roll the safety over the top if need be. So that's where you see a lot of that from. And what that allows you to do is really sit on those intermediate throws and gets, gets you back into doing what you want to force offenses to do in the passing game anyway. And that's to throw check downs or to have to throw what we call 50-50 balls out in the perimeter, but the percentages will tell you that's more of like a 30 to 35% completion rate that you get on those fade throws, you know, wide on the outside of the field. Uh, so that's really what you want to get back to defensively, and I think that right now with where the spread offenses are in the NFL, that's why we see so much cover four and quarter, quarter, half, or cover six however you want to describe it, to be able to take away those throws in the teams and force quarterbacks to hold the ball and, and throw check downs or take your chance out on the perimeter in one-on-one coverage where the margins are pretty slim. Talking right now with Deontay Lee from The Athletic here on NSA Roughness, Radio Nation Radio 920, talking all things defense and sticking with the DBs. Uh, we know that Rocky Sin, they made the trade for him. Trayvon Mullen, he's been a starter, but he's been banged up. He's recovering from a surgery right now. Nate Hobbs was a heck of a rookie, played in the slot. Do you think that with all the knowledge that you have of the defense, you just talked about the coverages, do you think that the Raiders should have gone out and made a move for a veteran corner? I definitely think that they – I would have liked to have seen them be a little bit more competitive with the veteran corners that were available. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, off the top of my head, I'm, I'm not remembering too many that were really out there that I think would have given you immediate lockdown corner types of returns. Even a guy like Stephon Gilmore, who's a cult now, you know, I, I think that like the best days of him being able to play in press coverage and take away a number one option are maybe behind him, right? You know, and, and losing half a step at that position means a lot. Right. You know, so you don't really see those kind of lockdown corners come available all that often. So I will say, I mean, with the personnel that's available to them right now, I, I would expect them to play a lot of zone coverage. You know, a lot of zone coverage, try to keep everything in front of you, even if it's not cover three the way that it was with Gus Bradley. I think that that's going to be the main priority, and that's something that Patrick Graham did a lot of 
last year and the year before, you know, in New York anyways, and that was with having James Bradbury, who is a corner that I believe can stand up in man coverage if you ask him to. So clearly, like I said, Patrick Graham was kind of willing to do whatever it takes to gain an edge. You know, these New England guys all kind of preach that, you know, and I think that, you know, you can kind of take it to heart with a guy like him. And, you know, I expect to see a, a good mix of zone coverages and some creative pressures as well. That was something that he did a bunch of, you know, in, in New York in his last year that, that you didn't see a whole bunch of with Gus Bradley. Gus Bradley's very much a, hey, we're going to line up four down linemen and we're just going to play our defense. And I think that Patrick Graham will be a little bit more creative in terms of trying to create plays in the backfield. Just got a couple more questions for you, and I want to talk about the safety position. Talked to Trayvon uh, Merrick earlier this week, and he sounds like he's poised to have a, a big-time year in year two. He played all of last year, uh, his rookie season for the Raiders. But Jonathan Abram is my big question. He was a guy that I felt like played that Cam Chancellor role really well last right. year with Gus Bradley. How do you see him fitting into Patrick Graham's defense? How do they use him to maximize his abilities? That's, he's a really fascinating piece in this defense to me, you know, um, for some of the reasons that we've kind of talked about. With a guy like Merrick, right, coming from TCU, where they do everything under the sun from a coverage perspective, he kind of excels at everything, right? You know, and he's got the athleticism to really be able to handle whatever you throw at him, you know, as a safety. A guy like Abram, you know, he's a little bit more, I wouldn't say a guy that you pigeonhole into one spot, you know. He does have... A bit of a skill set, but he's certainly not as diverse or versatile in coverage in the way that a Merrick is. And that's what leads him to be, I think, the best, the best version of him to be closer to the line of scrimmage. So I would say that that's a big question for me on the back end is if you're going to play more cover four, how do you set it up to where a guy like Abrams is closer to the line of scrimmage? Maybe he's a deep safety that lines up on the side of the tight end when teams are in 11 personnel. You're probably not going to ask a guy like you know, I like them to drop into a deep half and play cover two. That would probably be a bit foolish. So they're going to have to reconfigure some things based on what they want to do coverage-wise to make sure that Merrick has the more difficult tax and coverage, in my opinion. And I think that anything you can do to keep Avery close to the line of scrimmage, even if it's using with like a big nickel type in some packages, you know, I, I think that you might see a bit of that. So you're definitely going to have to be a lot more choosy in how you want to deploy a player like that because I think that the best of his skill set may not always match up with what the best approach is to take away the explosive offenses that you're going to see in this division this year. All right, Deontay, for those who don't know, you are a high school football coach, a defensive coordinator. Right. So have you guys started camp yet, and why do you despise 7-on-7 seven seven so much? <laughs> so we just, uh, we just had our own tournament at our school um, this past weekend. We ended up, uh, we lost in finals um, in our bracket. So we had a decent, a decent showing there, and we finished up our spring, our spring practices the Thursday prior. Um, so to me, it's not so much. You know, I, I say I despise, I despise seven on seven, almost suggest kind of tongue in cheek. It's just not the kind of football that I came up with. I'm not as passionate about it. It has its use, you know, and you try to use it as a carrot to dangle in front of kids, you know. So. Guys who spend more time in the box, especially linebackers, now all of a sudden they can go out and fulfill their little safety dreams that they have in their head. You know, if they were 15, 20 pounds lighter and were maybe about a two or three tenths in the, in the 40 time, you know, faster, they might be playing a different position. So I enjoy it from that perspective. Um, but a lot of this for me is just kind of like working out kinks and our coverages, how we want to fit things, you know, getting certain fundamentals down. And we usually get that stuff wrapped up by about, you know, the end of week two in spring camp. So the last couple of weeks we've been coming out to practice has just been more of, 
you know, wrangling high school age kids and try to make sure that they stay focused on the task at hand and less about, you know, introducing new things schematically. Um, you know, we're trying to recreate some of the success that we had last season. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, you, you mentioned uh, getting high school kids to go out there and participate and, and get their mind right. What has been the, the early, you know, uh, you know, feedback that you've been receiving? What have you been thinking of what you've been seeing? It's hot outside. It's not necessarily the time that everyone wants to be out there practicing and participating. So what's been the er- early results that you've been seeing? I think, you know, it, it works kind of in both directions. I think there's been some good and some things to work on. So, A, you know, at the high school level, anytime you have success at a place where you're trying to maybe rebuild or reestablish a certain culture there, you're going to draw a lot more interest. So we've gotten a lot of players, especially guys who play other sports around campus who might have played football for a year or two or did so in youth that kind of fell off the wagon a bit, you know, when they got into high school that are a little bit intrigued to come back around. So our turnout has been great. You know, I think that for most public high schools, you're probably looking at a successful program if you've got somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 to 150 players from freshman to senior class, you know, within your program. And that's kind of what we're looking at now. So I'm happy on that note. Um, for us, the biggest challenge, man, is just what comes with a little bit of success, right? You know, after going 9-1 last season, we made it to the semifinals in our division in the playoffs. There are a lot of guys who are younger players who contributed for us that, have to figure out what it's like to be the leader on their own. You know, we had a really, we had a couple of really good players last year. You know, our best guy is going to be at Boise State and the guy that you're probably going to see start, um, you know, in the Mountain West in year one, you know, and when that guy is out the door, it does kind of leave a bit of a vacuum in terms of voices and guys who lead by example. So now guys who are rising seniors, rising juniors who contributed a bunch, but kind of got to hang back when the seniors were barking at, you know, what needed to be done. Now it's their opportunity to go and, you know, kind of take the ball by the horns here. So that's what we're trying to push them to. And it's going to be a matter of them trying to find their voices naturally, right? They can't sound like me. They can't sound like their teammates. They can't do their best Ray Lewis impersonation or whatever (laughs) the case may be. These kids really got to sit down and figure out how they need to communicate to their teammates and get the message across so that way we can be successful and hold everybody accountable. So that's a bigger challenge more than anything, you know, in terms of on-the-field technique stuff. And it's, the person, the person to person stuff that matters most to me right now. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. I love high school football, so I love to see the development and hear how uh, young kids are starting to develop and, and turn into young adults. You know, I really do appreciate that. And final question for you, Deontay, let's take it back to the Raiders real quick. We were talking about the secondary. Absolutely. What were your thoughts on Nate Hobbs? What, what he was able to do a season ago as a rookie, thought he did some really good things. How does he take that next step? I think, you know, hidden gem is probably the term I would use for him, you know, last year. You know, certainly somebody I think who probably even caught the Raiders coaching staff by surprise a bit and how well he was able to handle, you know, kind of being thrust into that role and being asked to be an every-down type of contributor, you know, as a player. You know, I don't know if that was expected for him right out the gate. So to get that kind of returns out of a player like Hobbs has to be really, really encouraging for the staff. And I think that, you know, past last year, what he needs to grow in is just, continuing to add to his tool belt in terms of versatility, whether it's playing inside and out, being able to handle man coverage and that's what's asked of him. You know, like I said, with Patrick Graham, he's really creative with his pressure, so there might be an opportunity for him to kind of add to his tool belt in terms of being a blitzer off the edge, you know, or drawing up some different things in coverage, you know, that kind of allows him to, you know, play off of the quarterback and maybe make a little bit more plays on the football. So, that's kind of what I'm interested in is how Patrick Graham wants to employ him because he's usually versatile with, you know, his nickel defenders, his slot defenders. And I think that 
you know, if Hobbs is able to kind of add to that versatility in his tool belt, I think that you'll see a lot of great returns in year two of him really being an every-down type of contributor as a player. Fantastic stuff as always, my man. What do you got coming out on The Athletic that we need to be on the lookout for? Right now I am actually about to file the story, doing a little bit of a retrospective on the defensive players taken in the 2020 draft now that we're entering year three. You know, some of these conversations about whether or not you want to pick up first-year or fifth-year options mm-hmm. for your first-round picks are coming up. So kind of taking a look at how guys are stacking up on the defensive end a couple years into their career and who are hits, who are guys that are on the fence, and who are guys that, while I wouldn't consider them busts, maybe they were just whiffs based on where they were drafted or, you know, their positional value or what they've returned as a football player up to this point. So that will probably be out at the end of the week. So definitely something to look forward to on that note. Well, I'll tell you right now, 2020, the 19th overall pick, Damon Arnett, I can tell you, fifth-year option is not going to get picked up. Uh, yeah, I can, I can guess on that. <laughs> I will say, you know, based on how some things are looking in the middle of the season, I'm just glad that he still has a home in the NFL. Right, no doubt, no doubt about it. Well, Deontay, great stuff as always, man. It's always a pleasure when you're on the show. We get to pick your brain. Great uh, breakdown on the defense. We appreciate you. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely, guys. Have a great summer. Talk to you soon. All right, brother. There he goes. Deontay Lee from The Athletic does a fantastic job. Great breakdown at Deontay Lee FB on Twitter. Definitely want to go ahead and check him out and the work that he does with The Athletic. And, again, that piece that he put out, literally it was a couple weeks ago, and DeMond is my witness. He'll tell you, I've been trying to uh, trying to track down Deontay for a couple weeks now, and he's just been really busy. He's got a lot going on, so I don't blame him. And, look, these guests that come on, man, they come on as a favor. They don't come on and do this because, you know, they have to or we're giving them, you know, paying them money to come on. We do it as they do it as a favor. So, I mean, whenever his schedule is open is when he's able to hop on the show and we do appreciate him. But, man, if that wasn't worth the wait, I'm telling you, that defensive breakdown, that was worth the wait. That was some fantastic stuff right there. Matter of fact, Damon, I'm going to need you to send me that interview. I'm going to just say it on the air right now. Don't be surprised if you hear that on my podcast coming up tomorrow. I'll just throw that out there. I have no problem throwing it out there. That's how good that was from Deontay Lee. 424 is the time. We'll take a break. When we come back, we talked about John Abram. You heard Deontay talk about John Abram. Now how about John Abram talk about John Abram? His media session from earlier today at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. You'll hear that next. This is Radio Nation Radio 920. I know what you're saying, but you're you're not hearing what I'm saying. You're not hearing me. I you're stuck you. in your zone, and I you won't allow you. yourself to listen. I am hearing you. No, 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 no. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. Here's your boy Q. You're listening to Jimmy, but you're not hearing Jimmy. Simple as that. You're listening, but you're not hearing. You're hearing, and you're not listening. That's what happens. You are listening to Unnecessary Roughness here on Radio Nation Radio 920. Demond Cotton and your boy Q. We've been flying through another show, man, fast and furious. I know we got an extra hour now, 2 to 5 p.m. We go on the daily, but we might as well go ahead and tax on another hour because, man, these times fly by. We just had a fantastic conversation with Deontay Lee from The Athletic. I encourage you to follow him on Twitter at Deontay Lee FB. He does a great job. Not only you know writing great stuff, not only breaking down film, but also a high school football coach. I think that that's so cool. Uh, I really do. I, I developed a appreciation for high school football uh, over my time spent in Texas, and I'm not going to lie to you. I never in my life thought that high school football was a big deal to me. Uh, one, because, well, my high school football team was terrible. 
they were awful. So I never really paid that much attention to it. Didn't think it was a big deal. Got to Texas, and everyone said, oh, man, high school football is where it's at. And I was like, no, nah, man, NFL's where it's at. Even college. Give me some college, but I'm not worried about the high school until I actually became a member of you know, the fraternity that was high school football broadcast and just being out there to see the pageantry, it was just some next-level stuff. And, and so my appreciation for high school football is so great right now. And, of course, uh, we had here on Radio Nation Radio 920 all last season the Tom Flores High School Football Coach of the Week. We're going to do that this year. I'm excited about that. We're going to also go out to high school football games just like the Raiders organization does as they're getting involved. There's a wall at Allegiant Stadium that is dedicated to have every helmet uh, here in Nevada as far as uh, high school football teams go. That was the, I was there for that. I mean, just I'll tell you how proud I was to be able to be there and help introduce that wall at Allegiant Stadium. When I was done, I left, got in my car, and called my my old uh, program director, David Smoke, who's very deep in Texas high school football, and told him, "You won't believe what I just did." And he'll think he thought that I was talking about something Raiders related. He thought I was like talking some big NFL something. I was like, "Man, I just helped open up this uh, high school football wall at Allegiant Stadium." And I'll tell you, I've done a lot of great things in the less than a year that I've been here. That was probably the most proud moment he had so far because he realizes that it took me to learn high school football to really appreciate high school football. But that was that was such a proud moment. I thank Mike Taylor over at the Raiders for giving me that opportunity, and uh, I just thought that that was a lot of fun. With that being said, the Raiders hosted uh, an all-star game combine for girls flag football uh, at the facility, and so this is something that I think is a big deal as well. Uh, girls, girls flag football, believe it or not, is actually a scholarship sport. I know a lot of people don't realize that, but that's why it's a big deal. And I was telling Mike today when I, was, I saw him at the facility, I said, look, anything that's a scholarship sport, any kind of sport that somebody could do and do at a high level and get an opportunity to get their education paid for is a big deal. You know, so it might be nothing to you like, ah, oh, it's flag football, whatever. Ah, oh, it's girls flag football, whatever. Look, if it's a scholarship sport, they have an opportunity for a scholarship, that is a big deal deal i tell my son all the time he's at western oregon right now he just wrapped up his uh, his freshman year uh did pretty good you know i'm not gonna lie he, he has room to improve obviously but did pretty good and, and that's a d2 school it's not like he's going to unlv or he's going to some big powerhouse he's going to a d2 school but he has a scholarship and i tell him all the time as much as he's like hey dad i'm so proud of you you're doing this that and the other i was like son you've already outshined me no matter what i do in life you've done way more already in your short lifetime, just turned 19 on the 1st of June, than I've done in my life, and I'm 45. And he had no idea why. I said, son, you are paying for your education based off the fact that you could put a basketball through the hole or you can get a guy open, you could drop a dime, or you could pull a rebound. What you're able to do on that court has allowed you to pay for an education that I probably could not have paid for. Or, you know, if I did, it would have had to make, I would have struggled in a major way. Or he would have had to go out and, and get, uh, you know, a, a student loan. And we all know how that goes. You get a student loan, half the time, you're paying for it the rest of your life. He's not worried about that because he has the ability to get up and down that court, <laughs> deliver that ball to somebody in transition, get that ball through the hole, and that's how his education is getting paid for. I said, son, that is a, you've already won. Everything you do after that, is gravy. You go get that education and take care of that, and everything after that 
is, is like I said, gravy, man. You've already succeeded. There's nothing else you could do uh, that to make me prouder than I already am of you. Now, every, like I said, he can continue to grow and continue to get better, and whatever he wants in life he can go get, but he's got to go work for it. That's just like everybody. We all got to work hard to get somewhere, get there, done that. But from what he's done already, man. He's already winning. So uh, for the Raiders to do this with the uh, girls flag football, I thought was cool. Having the little all-star game and combine for the second straight year uh, at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. And they got a lot more coming up. Uh, I thought that that was cool. I'm very excited about that. And, you know, kind of to double down with that, we're actually going to have one of the coaches on tomorrow. And I'm trying to go through this really quick and try to, you know, let you know exactly who's going to be on the show tomorrow as far as uh, this coach because – he was uh, he he was the five he was at, okay he's the Shadow Ridge or he, well, hold on Shadow Ridge coach sorry so I'm trying to like I said read this at the same time as talk about it five uh, A state flag football title right uh, so this is all right here we go we're going through this <laughs> this is uh, production on the fly <laughs> this is at its finest right here uh, probably should have thought this through a little bit first uh, this is. Matthew Nicewanger, he was the head coach there at Shadow Ridge, 5A state flag football title. He's actually going to join the show tomorrow at 3.30, and by then we'll have all the details all worked out of everything that, that went on and, and the Raiders were part of. So won't mess it up as bad as I just messed it up right now as I was just trying to give you a quick, uh, you know, like the, the Cliff Notes version of it. So there is that. So DeMond, look forward to that conversation tomorrow at 3.30 here on the show. But, uh, yeah, I started talking about high school football and then, boom, I just went on this rant and it started leading into another conversation. So I thought, hey, let's just go ahead and, and bring it all together at the same time. So it uh, wasn't the prettiest the prettiest display right there, but we got it done, <laughs> and we will get it done tomorrow. Speaking of getting it done, at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center earlier today, we heard from multiple people. We heard from linebacker coach Antonio Pierce, quarterback coach Bo Hardigree, uh, offensive lineman Alex Leatherwood, running back Brandon Bolden, and then we also heard from Jonathan Abram. Now, Jonathan Abram didn't have a whole lot to say, but I think you could pick up enough from what he did have to say. Here's that conversation earlier today with Jonathan Abram. Um, uh, does it get any easier kind of learning um, a, a new system, absorbing it, digesting it? Um, I mean, it's a lot of carryover uh, once you learn the concepts of, you know, 400 3D or 500 3D, just things like that. But, you know, Got to learn the terminology all over again, so you know, just taking it day by day. What, what do you see your role in this system being? Honestly, whatever coach asks me to do, um, you know, I'm just here to get better every single day and do what they ask me. Do, do what they ask of me. I mean, does it feel much different than what you were doing, like play by play from last year? Uh, not really. You know, coaches just you know move me around in a couple spots. You know, just honestly, you know, playing the coverages and. Listen some of the time, so pretty much some of the same stuff that we done last year. So it's all, you know, a little bit of carryover from there. John, I think I saw, I think it was last week that you had a camp back home in Mississippi. Why is it important for you to do that every offseason? Um, pretty much for me, so I want to give the, the kids where I'm from. You know, I'm from a small town, you know, not many people, not many pros. So, you know, just giving them some, you know, inspiration and hope, you know, that, you know, pretty much whatever you set your mind to that you can achieve. What's the jump out watching your offense the last couple of days? Um, just watching these guys come together, you know, the cohesiveness of everything, you know, just watching them, you know, get to learn each other and, you know, build a relationship. So, you know, it's, it's unique. How different, Jonathan, is this what you've seen since you got here? Uh, not much, honestly. You know, like I said, coach is doing, you know, some different things up front and in the back end, but, you know, pretty much all the same, you know, we've seen pretty much some of everything here.
How much motivation does it give when an option isn't picked up for you to come in and prove yourself? Do you feel you have to prove yourself either for them or the future? No, I don't think about any of that. Um, so, you know, I just show up to work every single day just to get better. That's about it. Uh, even though it's a young DB room, a lot of you guys had a lot of snaps together. How does that cohesion really play out now that you guys are, you know, going into, you know, your third or fourth season and then Hobbs and Mary going into their second season? How does that cohesion play out? I mean, I don't think it's about, you know, age, youth, any of that. You know, just about their getting the snaps and the reps together, you know, just building the bond, spending time with each other, you know, no matter old or young, you know. You can have a bunch of old guys in, in one room, and if those guys don't come together and build a bond, then it really won't work. So age doesn't really matter. There's so much happening, and there's like a different thing to deal with every week. Now that you've had a little bit of time to distance yourself and have a summer to think about it a little bit, like how difficult was last year? Honestly, um, I don't even think about last year. We're on to a new season. That's all I can focus on. Jonathan, when uh, Perriman came in, he asked about Patrick Graham. He kind of just sat back for a second, smiled. He said, he's a different guy. He likes him, but he's a different dude. Last year, he had a different guy in with, with Gus Bradley, and he seemed to be just as loud as Grew during uh, OTAs and minicamp and brought that motivation. Your take on Patrick Graham and what he brings to the defense? Um. He brings, he brings the, honestly, he's the glue. He's the, he's the guy who brings us all together, you know, say, you know, loud, quiet. At the end of the day, you know, his one job is to make sure he puts us all in the best position and, you know, to get us going every single day, even when we don't have the juice. And so, so far he's done that. And, you know, I look forward to seeing him to continue to do that throughout the season. You, you said you don't really feel the pressure. You don't think about it in terms of the contract situation. But, you know, two different years, it's different uh, moving around a little bit. Are, does does he instill a bit of confidence in you that whatever role he asks you of you that you're prepared to do that you feel confident in yourself for this season? I mean, why wouldn't I? I mean, I put the work in just like everybody else. I saw, you know, the confidence comes from getting out there, getting the reps, and constantly just building things. You know, not what the media says. What did you see last year in terms of the growth of Merrick? What's the next step for him this year in your eyes? Honestly, just watching him just get better every day. Um, you know, I can't really you know, define what he needs to work on. You know, he's his own player. I'm my own player. So, you know, my biggest thing is just building a relationship with him so, you know, we're on the same page always and just, you know, making sure we go out there and make plays. You're still, you're still a fairly, you know, young player. Obviously, entering year four. Where do you see your, your development? Like, do you think you're ahead of schedule? Do you think you're where you want to be? Uh, where, where do you think you are in terms of developing as a player? I'm right on time. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, <laughs> I'm right on time. That was the theme in the media room following Jonathan Abram when he talked to the media. I'm right on time, baby. So he's right on time, according to Jonathan Abram. And you could tell he was pretty short with all his answers, didn't really have much to say about the contract situation. And, look, I, I appreciate him not thinking about the contract, not thinking about his fifth-year option getting picked up. But at the same time, he's thinking about his fifth-year option not getting picked up. He's thinking about the contract. Uh, not necessarily saying that that's what he's worried about, but in his mind, I mean, you, you have to. Right. I mean, anyone who's human is going to think about uh, their next their next move and, and what they have to do this year. And, you know, uh, John McClain always tells us that, hey, players best years are always their contract years. Well, this for John Abram is a contract year. It really is. And so when we ask Deontay Lee or we ask Paul Gutierrez or I ask Adam Hill or anyone else that's on this station that we talk to on the regular, what do you see the role for Jonathan Abram being? It's not because I'm sitting here doubting the dude as a player because I'm not. I think he's a phenomenal athlete. I think that he has really good skills if he's put in the right position.
And that goes for anybody. If you don't put a player in the right position, they're not going to succeed. I think we all realize from what we've seen, the different varieties of how Jonathan Abram plays, the closer he is to the line of scrimmage, the more of a menace he is. I look at him as uh, Jamal Adams-like. You know, I, don't, I wouldn't put Jamal Adams as a deep safety and just let him you know, roam around back there because that's not really his role. But if you have him rush the quarterback, you have him lined up close to the line of scrimmage, you have him being an enforcer, a thumper, a tone setter, guess whose role plays really well that? Jonathan Abram plays that, and Jamal Adams does that really well. So is that what Patrick Graham plans for him? Obviously we don't know, but that's why I asked the question. Because, again, I like the player, love the confidence, like what he could bring to the table, don't like the lack of inconsistency as far as being out there on the field because of injury. I get it. Injuries don't happen because players want it to happen, but it happens. You know, if, hey, DeMond might want to come to work every single day, but if he can only make it three days a week, guess what? That's a problem. Simple. In his heart, he might say, hey, you know, I want to be there. I just can't be there. Well, guess what? If I could be there, I'd be the best I'd, I'd be the best DeMond you'd get. Right, if exactly. Ifs and buts. Blanks and blanks. I mean, you know all the rest. You know, I mean, it's just you just can't look. It just doesn't matter if you're not there. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter how good you could be if you're on the sideline watching the street clothes. Four forty-three is the time when we come back. Want to give you some breaking news out of L.A. Those Rams, those pesky Rams, are at it again. Spend it, spend it, spend it. Make it rain, L.A. That's what they're doing. We'll tell you who got paid and how much. We'll do that next. Plus one, the Smasher. He's on the phone line. We're gonna we're gonna get to that call as we close out the show. This is Unnecessary Roughness on Radio Nation Radio nine twenty. Welcome back to Unnecessary Roughness. Unnecessary Roughness. Here on Raider Nation Radio 920. I'm going to have to kick you, you know what, today. Here's your boy Q. Hey. Money. Money, 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 money. Money. I can't sing. So I'll get right now. My mom's like, yeah, boy, stop singing. You can't sing. I'm so bad at singing, man. I can't even sing in the shower. You know, everybody sounds good in the shower, right? <laughs> everybody sounds good in the shower. Not this dude. I sound terrible in the shower. Like, I'm in the shower singing. The wife's like, shut up. Shut up. I'm leaving. Like, permanently if you keep singing. <laughs> so I'm not going to do that. But I'll tell you who's in the shower singing. I'll tell you who don't give a damn. He's out singing wherever he wants to. That's Rams wide receiver Cooper Cup. How about this? Three years. $80 million extension, including $75 million guaranteed, worth $110 million over the next five years. It keeps him in L.A. through the 2026 season. That's according to Adam Schefter. Uh, that's just been put out in the last, last few minutes. And, yeah, the Rams just keep on spending money. Why not, right? $75 million out of his three-year $80 million extension is guaranteed. Why do I tell you that? One, I just want to tell you what the Rams are doing with spending money because they don't care. Two, Hunter Renfro is sitting back somewhere saying, money, 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 money. Yeah, he's, he's thinking the same thing. Okay, nice. Keep on getting paid. He is not in any hurry to get that contract because, well, he knows folks are getting paid. Think about this. The Rams agreed to pay Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald this week a combined $205 million in new deals. Just this week. So you want to say, well, Q, how much money have they spent this offseason? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. This is from Field Yates, as a matter of fact, from ESPN. 
Busy Rams offseason has included deals for quarterback Matt Stafford, four years, $160 million. Wide receiver Cooper Cup, five years, $110 million. Defensive tackle Aaron Donald, three years, $95 million. Linebacker Bobby Wagner, five years, $50 million. Wide receiver Allen Robinson, three years, $46.5 million. And you can't pay everybody if you don't want to, right? Right. You can pay people if you want to pay people. Something I've been saying for the longest time. If teams want to pay guys, they can pay guys. Don't let that thing called the salary cap fool you into thinking they can't get it done. Now, I know all that money I just ran down, I know all of it's not guaranteed. They're not going to see all of that. I get that. But in general, Stafford, four years, 160. Cooper Cup, five years, 110. Aaron Donald, three years, 95. Bobby Wagner, five years, 50. Wide receiver Allen Robinson, three years, $46.5 million. You can pay who you want to pay. Teams choose not to pay certain guys. It's just not going to go down that route. It's not worth it. Teams make the decision to move on from guys. I know what they say. Can't pay everybody. Well, you can pay everybody if you want to pay everybody. And then this goes back to what Paul said earlier about, you know, the uh, how happy are the agents of these Raiders receivers going to be of, of Hunter Renfro? Hey, man, right. we all just have however many catches. What do you say, 50? Like right. everybody's going to like, oh, we just care about winning. But do you see the money that's out here? Exactly. The money is out there to be had. Please believe that. Make no mistake about it. You know, it's funny because Derek Carr uh, was talking to the media uh, on yesterday following the uh, mandatory mini camp, and he, uh, he had said something about his contract – he was happy that it was done, and, uh, you know, the way that they had structured it was the fact that, you know, keep everybody in town. He said, hey, you know, I've been through that before where I, I signed a deal and, you know, couldn't pay my best friend. Talking about Khalil Mack. No, no, Derek. If they wanted to 100% pay Khalil Mack, they would have paid Khalil Mack. There was no we couldn't do. It was to do. That was the reason why there was multiple reasons, obviously, to try to build the team up and it just didn't shake out the way that the Raiders expected to. But technically, they could have done it if they wanted to get it done. Let's take one call before we uh, close up the shop, and let's talk to Juan the Smasher right here in Vegas. What's on your mind, brother? What's up, Q? What's going on? Chilling, man, chilling. Man, speaking about that Mac deal, I'm still sick to my stomach because, man, when he left, man, I was pissed. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you know what? Chucky's back, but then Mac is gone. And they didn't want to pay that for. I would have just paid them. Come <laughs> on, man. But you know, but you know what? Defense. That guy that uh, that you had on earlier. When I hear defense, it's music to my ears. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I love me some defense. I, I love when linebackers are stuff foos. You know what I'm saying? And I just, I and you know what, Jonathan Abram. I'm rooting for this guy. You know what I mean? I don't know what's going on with him, and uh, and if he if he's not gone. But you know what? If something just lights up a firework under you know where where the sun don't shine and he just starts playing like like a maniac, right. you know what? Forget it. Hey, it's all good. Come on, Abram. Hey, everyone's rooting for you and everyone's rooting for them Raiders. Let's go, baby. Hey, thank you for the call, and I'm glad you talked about Jonathan Abram because we got a text on the Salmon Ash text line. This is a perfect segue. Thank you, Juan. You didn't know that you were doing that, but perfect segue. Jason in Maryland said, y'all need to chill on Abrams. It's Abram. Y'all act like he missed two full seasons. Given his style of play, missing the final three games of the season is not the end-all, be-all. I agree, Jason. None of us are all over Abram. We've all said, and I think I said multiple times, that I like the player that he is. I just know the reality of the matter is – availability is the number one key and yeah he missed the last three games of the regular season also missed the playoff game in 2020 missed 
well, three games because they played 16 games that year. So he missed three games in 2020. In 2019, he played one game. So he's played a total of 28 games in three seasons. So it's not just three games that you're looking at. You're looking at the collective. Thank you. If you add that all up, that's 28 games out of 49 eligible games he could have played. Right. That's, over, that's a little bit over 50% there. Right. And that's, look, I get it. 2019 is the, is the heavy lifter where he only you know, played the one. I get it. Nobody's trying to be all over Jonathan Abram. The fact is the team, not the media, like this is what Adam Hill said today, and I thought it was great. The team didn't pick up his fifth-year option. The media didn't not pick up his fifth-year option. I didn't say Jonathan Abrams' fifth-year option is not picked up. That was what the team said. They're evaluating him. That's why I said this is a very important year for him. I'm interested to see how he's used in this defense. Nobody's saying anything bad about him except for the fact that he just hasn't been available as much as he should be or he would like to be. He'll be the first to tell you he wishes he had been out there all the time. I guarantee you that. I like his – bravado i like the swagger like paul Gutierrez said in the first hour he's probably uh you know beyond his time as far as uh, when he is a, 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 a outstanding safety like in the 70s and 80s can you imagine that dude he would have been a hall of famer by now just by his style but that style just doesn't work these days they don't let you hit as hard as he wants to hit and they don't uh you know uh, make allow guys to miss as much as he's missed that's why fifth year options don't get picked up so I think everyone's rooting for the guy. Just interested to see exactly how he gets used. And I do believe, and if I'm wrong, Jason, please correct me, I think using him by the line of scrimmage is the best way to use him. If I'm wrong, please tell me. 69187, keyword R&R, let me know about it. I might not be able to get to it on today's show, but I'll definitely get to it because, I, I mean, like I said, I like what he brings to the table. He just doesn't bring it enough, and I want to see how Patrick Graham is going to use him. 4.55 is the time. Going to close up shop on the show. Make sure you wake up with the morning team. Baker, Heidi Fang, and Vinny Bossignor. It's Radio Nation Radio 920. We'll holler.